and welcome to episode 10. We did it. We reached the milestone. We made it all the way to double digits. Episode 10 of the 1099 uh, for the week of September 7th. It is a muggy, gross, damp, and cloudy day in Jacksonville, Florida. So after a good stretch of weather, we're back not doing so well over here. It's it's like 100 degrees. I'm not excited to take my dog out after this. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been really digging into game reviews and uh, different people's philosophies with how to write reviews, how to edit reviews, uh, stuff like that. Um, something I really, really want to talk about, mainly because I don't know a lot about it, is esports. And I know a lot of people will tune out when they hear esports and will think, nope, not a real thing, whatever, it's a phase, it's a fad, and kind of move on. I think more and more that's just not the case. Uh, there's a growing interest in esports and it's becoming more and more of a thing that people care about. So I brought along two different people who know way more about esports than I do. So they can not only help you guys understand it, they can help me realize what the hell is going on with esports. So first I'd like to introduce uh, someone I've known for a while. He is very recently the site director for Hearthhead and he's freelance for VG247, Kotaku, Playboy. He actually wrote for me at Stick Skills for quite a while. It is Dylan Skiffington. Dylan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. It's been a while. It has been a while. Um, yeah, as I said, we uh, you started writing for me for a while. Um, I think we, we made a lot of cool progress on a smaller site where it wasn't it wasn't as much about money. It was more sharpening skills so that you can do stuff for Kotaku and Playboy and different sites like that. So I'm happy oh. you're on, and I'm happy to see kind of all the success you've had since then. Thanks, thanks. Uh, Appreciate it. No problem at all. And also, we have someone who I met recently, but also knows quite a bit about esports. He is a reporter and video producer for the Daily Dot. It's Jacob Wolf. Jacob, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well today, man. It's been a good Labor Day weekend. Lots and lots of sitting on my butt and watching football, which helps rejuvenate me for the job. So, <laughs> no, I'm I'm in that same boat. College football is back. Um, yes, I just did a fantasy draft for NFL last night, and my team is looking great. Um, and yeah, Labor Day has been fantastic, especially for I've been uh, gone on vacation, you know, quote unquote vacation. I was still working um, back in Pennsylvania where I grew up around the Pittsburgh area. So I knew that when I would come back, I would have uh, Metal Gear Solid Five sitting there waiting for me. So it has been uh, a so really good. it's been a really nice time to not be social. Like I got all the socialness, the sociality out of me while I was gone. And then this entire weekend, I just sit on my butt with my dog just judging me as I'm sitting there for like eight hours playing video <laughs> games. So it's been really great. But we can talk about Metal Gear all day. Uh, we will not. Instead, we are going to... We're going to talk about esports. We're going to talk about uh, the market for uh, esports coverage, what kind of coverage there is, what do you write about. Um, so Dylan, I'll start with you. So first off, if you could, tell me a little bit about what you do at Hearthhead now with this new job and also what drew you to write and cover esports in general. The Hearthhead, the Hearthhead gear gig is kind of new to me. Um, Hearthhead had kind of been like in a, a transition stage where they didn't really have any directive. They were kind of just you know doing things and keeping the site up to date and that kind of stuff. Um, so Zam's kind of like gone through restructuring recently. So they're they're bringing me on to try to like give Hearthhead a direction to push it you know upwards and start you know improving it in uh, different areas. I mean, I've always been like a big uh, a league fan for like the past three years. Um, I mean, at first I hated it, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I I just kind of was like a big fan of league. And then uh, a fr like a friend of mine at the time, he was just acquaintance, um, Andrew Groen, was just like, it's hard finding esports writers. And I was like, well, it's hard to like get into the esports scene because you know all the big websites have like used the same personalities over and over and over. 
um, and it's tough to get in. He was just like, well, let me put you in contact with this guy. And that happened to be a guy who worked at uh, Riot for LOL Esports. And that was like my first esports gig or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, it never got published, but I got paid. And then shortly after that, I, I, I kind of like was like emboldened by that. Um, and then like I pitched Kotaku because Kotaku was looking for uh, esports or like league stuff. And then that kind of just like snowballed from there. Yeah. And the idea of, I talked to Nick Capazzoli, who is a GameSpot writer, and he had a similar story in terms of uh, Kevin Van Ord from GameSpot was looking for someone to re-review EVE Online. And you see that opportunity, and he had this experience with the game, and he went for it. And it's similar with you, where you see Kotaku, which is this massive site, and looking for an esports writer, and you understand that that's a, a difficult niche to get into, but you were able to kind of jump on that. And how, how many different articles did you write for Kotaku after that? Uh, for Kotaku... I think I wrote for two, and then New Year's ran, rolled around, and they, you know, tried to refocus all their stuff. But um, yeah, two articles for Kotaku, and then you know it just kind of like kept rolling from there. You, most of my uh, jobs, and, like chances, actually came from Twitter, so I'm actually kind of grateful for that. Twitter is a wonderful. Twitter's an odd resource in terms of being a social media platform, but it's also a lot of my interviews with Greg Kasavin, with Lauren Lanning, uh, with different people from Double Fine. They came from me tweeting at them or asking if I can send them a direct message or something like that. So Twitter is a weird resource uh, in that way. And uh, Jacob, I, your gig at the Daily Dot, is that full-time? Uh, yeah, it is. So oh, Yeah, I was going to ask, how did you get into that as well as a similar question? Uh, what got you interested in esports? Back when World at War and Modern Warfare 2 were a big thing, uh, I was was a big player in terms of Call of Duty. Uh, I was your average American teenager that, you know, liked to grind, and I actually wasn't too bad at the game. Uh, I wasn't, like, anything special because, yeah, whatever. COD's an interesting game within itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, like, I didn't even realize I was, like, esporting, quote-unquote, like, at the time. Like, I was doing, like, MLG game battles and stuff, but I didn't really realize what the hell I was doing. And so I grew up, and I did a lot of stuff in the music industry, I got introduced like four years ago, five years ago, uh, to League by a friend, and I made an account and gave it a shot, and I didn't play very much, and it took me like six or seven months, and I gave it a shot again, and uh, went back and played a lot, and so then I got into watching competitive, uh, and I sat there, and I, I knew I was like decent at writing, uh, and I wanted to give it a go, but like it took me like two years to convince myself that it was worth, uh, like giving or it was worth taking the shot and like just putting what I thought down on paper. And I got a uh, volunteer position at Esports Heaven in November of last year or December of last year. November is when I got it. December is when I first published. Um, and then I. Did stuff there, and I got into news reporting because I was, like, really good at making connections and figuring out what was going on. So, like, uh, similar stuff to, like, Richard Lewis, like, breaking news reports. Mm. And then I did some stuff at Gfinity as well. Uh, there was, a, like, a paid purview position. And then the day we got approached me in late March of this year and hired me in April uh, as a freelancer and... I have since moved up in the food chain a little bit and we'll be moving to Austin to work with them in two months. So Yeah, that's that's really awesome. And that's a pretty quick turnaround in terms of 
when was your first like volunteer published work? You said last year. Yeah, like December thirteenth, twenty fourteen. Yeah, that's that's a quick turnaround. Um, that's really cool that you'd be able to do that. Um, because you know, I I've told my story a few times on here, but I, I was writing for like at least three years before really hitting my stride and getting you know serious pay for what I was doing. But do you kind of attribute that a lot to what you were covering and the beat of esports and this new demand for it? Like when, when Daily Dot approached you, what did they approach you with? Was it, hey, we want you to be a reporter or hey, we want you to cover esports? Uh, it was strictly, hey, we want you to be a reporter. That has since expanded to where I do like feature writing and stuff now because uh, I've obviously proven my worth and like uh, took notes on editing and everything and improved as a writer to where I can do like long, long form features. But, uh, initially it was, Hey, we wanted you, or we want you to be a reporter. And it wasn't because my, like my writing wasn't terrible, but it definitely wasn't as good as it is now. And, but I was really good at, at meeting people and I was really good at getting information. And that is a, you know, now that Richard's like retired, that's, that's one of the rare skills I can only think of two people that still report news and we both work at daily dot and I'm one of them. So yeah, it's, it's a very like rare trait. Um, and I, I'm not sure how much of the, the statistics you can share or that, you know, but what's kind of, what's the size of the audience you're writing to at the daily dot? I mean, forgive me if I'm just a little bit un- uneducated on it, but kind of what's, what's the size there? I can tell you this cause it was public for a little bit and like we celebrated it publicly. Uh, my first month at the daily dot, uh, I probably published about 15 different pieces, uh, we had just hired another reporter as well, and between all of us, we racked 2.6 million in a month. Okay, uh, yeah, which is really nice. Yeah, so. that's not bad at all. No, that's <laughs> that sounds pretty great. So yeah, um, that was in April. So geez, I'm guessing things have probably even grown a lot since then. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. The off season is like the hottest part. So like April and May are really really hot, and then like now. We're getting to the point where it's going to heat back up again. And then after Worlds, it's just a fucking shit show because it's like player moves all over the place. So there's so much stuff to write and it, it's really overwhelming in an off season. But yeah, so looking forward to after Worlds because I know it's going to happen again. So you just said after Worlds and you said off season and my brain hasn't even wrapped around exactly like. So this is how disconnected I am from esports, which I don't know like what the seasons are, what the off seasons are. Um, I'll ask you first Dylan uh, so what what is the coverage for esports like what are you writing about is it mostly are you writing previews for events that cover certain teams are you writing reviews of what happens at different events educate me what what do you write about um it largely depends from site to site uh i mean like azubu when i wrote for them briefly um they're like they were like 100% previews mostly. Um, just trying to get people hyped for the games, get people to watch you know, the streams on their service, that kind of thing. Other sites like Kotaku and stuff like that, it's less about like either, it's not even like about recaps or previews or that kind of thing. It's more about like taking a specific aspect from this one game and making it relevant to a broad audience. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Absolutely. Um, that kind of thing. Um, for like Lal King and uh, Hearthead and that kind of stuff, I briefly did recaps. Um, I still do recaps occasionally for like balking and that kind of stuff, but it's basically just like, even for like the league scene, a lot of it, a lot of people don't even like read recaps for the most part. Um, a lot of it's just like keeping up with the news and keeping people excited and that kind of, uh, stuff. And that's hard to do with recaps, honestly. 
Yeah, and uh, Jacob, you did mention seasons. So when you talk about seasons, are you just talking about League of Legends seasons, or is that an esports season? What exactly do you mean by that? Uh, it's it's League of Legends season. Uh, League of Legends is obviously the biggest game in esports, and so you have two splits. You have spring, which is uh, January to late March into April in terms of like relegation tournaments where you have teams that get promoted up to the Pro League. Uh, and teams that get demoted because they're not good enough to stay up there. Um, and so, like, April and May is, like, basically your offseason, and it's where, like, your player transfers occurs. Or sometimes you'll have players come out and say they didn't get paid, and there's always something to write about that. Uh, and then the same happens. The relegation tournaments are actually yesterday and today. So this is technically the end of the season, and we're going into Worlds in October. And then... Uh, after today, we'll probably like kick off the whole, everybody starts moving a lot, uh, in terms of players. And then afterwards, when all those teams come back, then that's when a lot of your, your movement happens as well. Uh, like for example, the Korean region is the best region in the game. Well, they had like half of their, like over half of their professional player base, uh, like just left and went to go to, or they like mostly went to China because there was more money and some came to North America and Europe. So like these, we're talking, I think like 30 players that just picked up and left. Jeez, man. So, okay. Yeah. So, uh, you'd mentioned that league of legends is the biggest, but is, is Dota pushing up against it? Is Dota two something that you think in the future could leapfrog it? I mean, I know the international has such a giant, like earnings pot, like where you can win all right. these, like the, you know, the, the winning team, those guys are set for a while. They're getting a huge, significant sum of money. Do you think that money and the coverage that it's getting, do you think Dota could push beyond League of Legends? I would say maybe, but I think the one problem with Dota is there's not enough organized competition like Riot has for their game. So Dota, uh, like the international is gigantic. It's like, Probably the biggest esports tournament ever ever grown. It is in terms of money. Sure it is. Uh, and but the thing is, is like there's no there's no regular competition, so it's really hard to write when there's not stuff that's like as consistent as something like Counter Strike and League. They've made strides with that. Yeah, um, I was gonna say, why they, do you they think recently... they? Why do you think it's not as consistent if you know there's this giant international? Like, why wouldn't you have a lot of events leading up to that? I think I think Valve realized their mistake with that. Um, they recently announced like the major tournaments, so there's like a spring, summer, fall, uh, right. winter kind of thing. And I think fall is technically the uh, the international. I think we're only a couple weeks away from their first major tournament outside of the international. But even then, that's not like a regular season. It's just you know major. It's just like semi global tournaments um, that have right. large prize pools. Um, I think there is some amount of danger in Dota taking over the league. If they get it like organized and such, because the way Valve does it and just leave, they they reward the players, you know, putting towards the, um, the pot and that kind of stuff, um, all that kind of stuff. League players have been like asking for over and over and over and over, and um, I I certainly think the international has to be profitable for Valve, um, but the fact is like the LCS Riot loses money on that, and a, a lot of these uh, organized uh, tournaments for like League actually cost the developer money more than it earns and i think that's like the and i understand that it's like a marketing tool and that kind of stuff but because of that i think there's 
possibility for Valve to overtake them because Valve is just earning money off of this, whereas yeah. Riot's you know te- technically sinking. Valve has one esport that uh, is going to overtake League, and it's already doing so. Is definitely Counter Strike. Uh, they're a little bit more hands off on that, uh, where they do they do help set up these majors, but these majors are run by people like DreamHack and uh, ESL. So you have like your recent ESL Cologne uh, in Germany. And ESL Cologne got more viewership than the NALCS finals in New York at Madison Square Garden. So I was sitting in Madison Square Garden, and instead of watching the league game, I was way more tuned into the Counter Strike game in that press room. So it's Valve has given, they give the support to it. They don't put in the like 18 mil that they do for Dota because Dota is like their original game or whatever uh, in terms of esports, but. Counter Strike is already, in terms of viewing, is already like overtaking League, and Jeez. I see that changing a lot more. And and the reason for that is like Counter Strike is a much more mature game. Like League is played by a lot of young younger people, uh, like young teenagers, uh, and the game is just like it, it's losing a lot of flair because like there's only so much you can do. And I think Riot recently announced that they want to like change the meta or whatever. Like, yeah, that's cool, but I don't, like, like the approach. Like, now they're trying to get rid of, like, 80 carries and change bot lane. And, like, it's fundamentally changing the game. And at the same time, there's there's just, like, a lot of bad decisions that pile up from Riot. And, like, things they say that people just get really, really, like, turned off from their game. Well, Whereas, like, Valve doesn't do anything. Like, the, the most controversial thing Valve has done with Counter-Strike is back in January, they banned a bunch of players from match-fixing. That's probably the most controversial thing they did. And it was, like, proven. Like we we wrote a takedown on Daily Dot, and every bit of it was proven that these players did match fixing. So, um, do you think it's the maturity of Counter Strike that uh, draws people, or do you think so? League of Legends or Dota, when you have never played those games and you are watching it, it is really difficult to know what's going on. Um, right. This is maybe a hidden part about me. I actually played a lot of League of Legends when it came out. I got a level thirty Whoa. character. I um I don't tell a lot of people. It's, it's this weird dark secret. It's like if you used to be a smoker. Um, I played. <laughs> A shit ton of League of Legends. So I understand what's going on, even with Dota to a certain extent, because while they're not the same, there is some parody where you can at least understand, okay, these are the lanes, these are the different, you know, there's a carry, there's this, this, there's that. Um, But for anyone who hasn't, so a lot of people I've seen who see that coverage and like, I have no idea what's going on. It's pretty cool that people are yelling and everyone's getting excited and you can tell like, oh, someone died, they're shifting momentum. But a lot of people can look at Counter-Strike and say, there's two, like, that guy shot that guy. That means the other guy won. Like it's much easier to grasp. Do you think that might be a bigger part of Counter Strike becoming more popular because people can more casually get into it? Uh, I think so. Just because like I grew up playing uh, for Americans. Like this is the culture. Mm. Amer- most American children grew up playing Call of Duty. So I grew up playing Call of Duty, and I played Call of Duty until I was like fifteen uh, or sixteen. So I like understand FPS and a lot of Europeans grew up playing Counter-Strike. So they already know the game. So at this point, when, when you like indulge yourself into esports, it's really easy to understand because it's a first person shooter and it's one of the most popular genres in terms of normal gaming, not just esports. So yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I did want to ask, uh, so, you know, Jacob, you're, you, you work at the Daily Dot. You have full-time work there. Uh, Dylan, you are now doing full-time work for Hearthhead. But before you were, you know, a freelancer out there looking for people to buy your pitches, I'm in that same uh, camp right now, so I, I understand it. But um, what, 
who do you decide to pitch to when you are looking to pitch to a website like that? I mean, you had mentioned a lot of different names of websites that sound like they are exclusive to talking about Hearthstone, to talking about Dota, to talking about League of Legends. Um, have you found that there are a lot of... Could you sell a piece on League of Legends esports at a big event to IGN or GameSpot or not so much? I mean, I, I guess I theoretically could. Um, I know Mitch Dyer does a lot of Dota stuff at IGN and that kind of stuff. It just it really comes down to knowing who's at the site, what they do or don't cover, uh, where where you think they can improve, and um, like knowing what their target audience is. Because mm-hmm. like like whenever I like uh, conceptualize a pitch and that kind of stuff, I just think about like what identity the website has like the most. Like, yeah. um, for example, with, like, Playboy, a lot of their stuff is, like, lists and um, just, like, I take advantage of the fact that their 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 readership, like, likes lists because it's easy to see, it's easy to understand and that kind of stuff. So, like, if I want to talk about the best League of Legends players right now, it's easy to just touch on them and, and, and break it down uh, really simply to a way that, like, an average viewer can read. Whereas, like, if I want to talk a little deeper about how patches change League of Legends. I, I like I, I threw that immediately to Kotaku because their readership is a bit more general than like a dedicated League esports site, but it's gaming enthusiast and therefore you can be a bit more specific and a bit more um, high end, you know what I mean? Uh, no, absolutely. And I think that's a good it's a good lesson in general for when you're freelancing is understanding the website you're writing for. Um, when you look at especially when, when Polygon started, they were doing a lot of these long form deep features that required you to go out and interview different people so if you're pitching to them you have to know what you're getting into in the same way ig pitching for ign is different from pitching to GameSpot, which is different from pitching to games radar where you're worried about doing more list stuff like you said with playboy um and i think that means even more when you're covering esports because if i am looking if i let's say want to look for esports coverage which doesn't happen very often let's say i did uh if if i go to GameSpot, like i don't think i'm going to look for like you said this in-depth Here's what the patch means for future competition. Here's how it's going to change this team or affect this guy's play style. I want a more surface level, why should you care about this? Here are the teams that are interesting and you should follow. I want more of an introduction compared to if I'm going to a site called League of Legends Esports are really great.com. I'm expecting deeper analysis uh, similar to um, like a like going to a sports website that really gets into the different parts of football instead of the surface level, who's going to win the Super Bowl, if that makes sense. Exactly that. Yeah, so I think that's something to keep in mind, especially with esports coverage, because once again, it's not... The people who want to learn about it don't want to learn the super in-depth stuff. They want to learn the surface level stuff that will get them uh, through the door. But also, you mostly cover League of Legends. I know you're doing Hearthstone stuff, Dylan, but um, when you were doing esports coverage... Is it important to kind of be uh, a jack-of-all-trades? Is it important to know what's going on with Counter-Strike, what's going on with Call of Duty scene, what's going on with Dota, what's going on with League of Legends? Or do you feel like you can just be an expert in one or an expert in two uh, instead of knowing all of it? I definitely think the specializing, if, I guess for the lack of a better word, is, is to your advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, like, basically the only the only major games that I've... I've pitched or like league and hearthstone um but you look at people like um travis gafford who writes for uh GameSpot. he's basically become like the uh league esports guy aside from like richard lewis 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's like the esports guy. Like people ask him for autographs, and he's like he's just a reporter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you just like become synonymous with like the scene, with like a specific scene, at least among the more esports oriented people. Obviously, for people that really don't understand or follow esports, they really don't care. But as far as being an esports writer or a a writer in that sense, um, yeah, I think definitely specializing helps. Uh, Jacob can probably attest to that a bit. Yeah, uh, Jacob, do you? Do you try to focus mostly on League of Legends? You mentioned Counter Strike. Are you, since you're doing full time esports writing at the Daily Dot, do you kind of know a little bit of everything? Yes and no. Okay. I uh, yes, I do know a little bit of everything, but at the same time, I do kind of specialize in three games, and I think that's pretty easy to see throughout my work. Uh, I focus on League, Counter Strike, and Smash, mm-hmm. uh, like Super Smash Bros. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I, I feel like the reason I'm known is like because I, I do like news reporting, which is like super rare. So what that's what's consistent through all of my work. Like I wrote my first Halo piece this week, but it was a news report. So uh, it was very focused on the whole like news outlet vibe or whatever. That that's basically what it is. So like I that's what like my specialization is more than games but yeah like i, I tend to, sh- to do weak counter strike and smash more than anything else so um and without league of legends without dota would esports even be close to where they are today in terms of popularity and do you think uh there's that espn esports writer job you see the different terms sometimes you see tournaments on espn 2 or espn 3 jacob so if 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 league of legends and dota didn't explode and didn't have this huge audience would esports be a thing? Uh, I reckon if League wasn't around, it would probably still be a thing, but it wouldn't be as big as it is because Riot really, really countered the Asian market hmm. uh, so much that they got invested into by Tencent, which is a Chinese company that's like really big for mobile games, uh, and gave them a bucket load of funding. Uh, but like, yeah, I I don't think it would be. And overall, like the like Riot's done a really good job at countering their market. They have really big uh they have their own outings in terms of North America and Europe, and then they have third party outings in China and Korea. And yeah, they're all very, very popular. So uh their marketing's been pretty on point, whereas Dota is a little bit more Dota is a very well, what's the word? Like inherited game from its past versions. Yes. Um, whereas League was very brand new, but League had a lot of, League is a little bit under, easy to understand than Dota to most viewers, from what I've spoken to people about. Um, and yeah, they've, they've just done a really, really, like, I don't give many shout outs to Riot, but they've done a really fucking fantastic job at counter, at cornering the Asian market and, uh, hooking in a lot of the North American and European viewers as well, so. How popular are the, individual teams and even the individual players becoming because once again i'm outside of this world i'm out of this bubble where every once in a while you're like team solo mid because i had a roommate who was really (laughs) really into uh esports and league of legends and stuff like that but are these individual people and these teams getting strong followings and i don't really know if household name is what i'm looking for but when's the point where we'll start people outside of this people who just watch sports and 
like football and basketball might actually know, hey, I've heard of this team before or I've heard of this player before. I can start with you, Jacob. Like, do you think we'll ever get to that point? Uh, yeah, I think I think we will. I mean, hell, like I'm a big Cloud9 fan just because I like personally really enjoy the organization. They're pretty outstanding people uh, to work with uh, in terms of reports and stuff. Uh, and I, I'll wear my Cloud9 shirt like it random places and people will just say like hey nice shirt i i like i'm a cloud nine fan it's like fucking random dude like i'm just out in like atlanta and people will like say something to me about it and it's really weird because like i don't don't really expect that but i think i think that comes between the teams so like looking i just pulled up na and eu teams like looking at the brands i see like five teams that are that are very well known in North America, and that's because they've done a really fucking amazing job at marketing. Uh, which yeah. is like Riot obviously markets everyone, but if you don't have a decent like team to market yourself outside of uh, outside of the league, then yeah, you're probably not doing something great because everybody has a fair and equal shot. And the the five that I like see are like Team Solomid, Team Liquid, Team Dignitas, Counterlogic Gaming, and Cloud Nine. Mm-hmm. And those five just have done a fucking amazing job at, at pushing pushing their weight around and getting themselves known. So I think we'll reach the point, but uh, you still have like a a whole nother like five teams because there's ten in a league uh, in North America alone that are fucking not known at all. So yeah, uh, I mean, I think most of my knowledge about any of these teams or people comes from either my older my roommate or. Dylan, because I follow you on Twitter, Dylan, and I'll tell you what, you can tweet about some esports and some League of Legends stuff. Uh, I know you're very invested into it, and you also, do you do fantasy? Is that a thing? Fantasy LCS, yeah. Man, okay. Yeah, dude. Uh, That's, this is all hurting my head. So, okay. We have betting now, too, but it's illegal in the States. What? This, okay, all right. Um, So, yeah, what's your kind of opinion on, like, the team structure of the players? Do you think that they're going to keep growing in popularity, Dylan, or do you think this will kind of stay in this bubble where if you, if you don't start digging in, you'll never hear about these people? Yeah, I think the, the, the bigger teams will certainly start getting more, more and more popular. Um, I think the biggest inhibitor right now is just the fact that North America as a region, at least in league, sucks in general. Um, like, if, if NA was like win a world championship, that would probably like just completely bolster their popularity in the States. Mm. Again, probably never going to happen. But, um, but yeah, no, that's, they're definitely like growing in popularity. And as far as like individual names go, obviously most people know, um, the most common one is Faker just cause you know, like he was on ESPN and all that kind of stuff or like in the magazine or whatever it was. Um, but like he's the most popular name by far. Um, and on top of that, you have like esports is kind of like ingrained in league itself. Like, uh, specific champions have like champion thresh or whatever. Like people, you'll you'll land like a, a really amazing hook or something, and people are like Mad Life, or you know, like with the Lee Sin kick, is it like an insect, which are both players? Um, so like certain moves in League are titled after, or like named after players, but they're not like actually named; they're just like referred to at, in the community, and that's um, something that certainly helps that. And but that's like just like if you don't watch esports, a lot of people who don't who have never watched it a day in their life still know what a bad life is. They know what an insect is and they don't even know who those people are. Yeah. So like, it's certainly possible for those to become more household names just from the fact that like things started to become synonymous with certain players. 
But uh, like I said, it, it would be more popular in North America if North America was better in general because right now it's just, you know, not great. Do you think the name eSports is holding it back at all because everyone immediately wants to argue, like, these aren't real sports, there's nothing physical about this. Do you think, do you like the name eSports at all? I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't know what else they're going to call it. Um, yeah. All I know is everyone always argues over how you spell eSports. Is the S capitalized? Is it not? Is the E capitalized? Who knows? <laughs> I people, think like, the S is capitalized. Stab each other over that. Lowercase no. e. I think no. lowercase no. e. S capitalized. I don't even do this kind of coverage. I <laughs> statement. Moving forward, it's, it's just a, a little... normal word. If it's the first part of a sentence, you capitalize it. If it's not, you overcase it completely. <laughs> nope. I'm There's no fancy S. And it's no. not even a fancy S. It's just a big S. <laughs> moving forward, if you guys do it any other way, I will stop talking to you. This is esports. Uh, that's the one thing that I'm going to accomplish with this podcast. Uh, so we were kind of talking before about the different sites that will accept your work and different coverage that you do. Do you, can you do like, if, so if you were to do an interview with these bigger players or if you were to write a feature about their life and how they came up, would that be something that people would want to buy? I, I guess I'm still trying to wrap my head around if you're not really doing like reviews of events or anything like that, what, what just what? And I'll go back to you, Jacob. Like, what do you? What's your average coverage? So let's say you have four features in a month. What kind of stuff are you covering with League of Legends and with Smash Brothers and with these different games? Um, so it really depends. See, the problem here, and this is, uh, I can't remember who had it. I had a, like a big Twitter discussion about this recently, mm-hmm. uh, and essentially. The problem here is that everyone's a feature writer, and I don't like say that in a mean way by any means, because I like I enjoy feature writing myself. Um, but the thing is, is like there's rarely something that's that you can do that's not been done, and it's like such a hard problem in in being a publication and like being a writer because it's so oversaturated. Like, uh, shout out to like Gold Pretend, who is like the site that basically anybody can write on and and make monetization money. Uh, they have so many feature writers there, and it's just anybody that wants to put anything down on paper. And then you have your bigger names like Kelsey Moser and Thorin, uh, and occasionally Travis will do like a feature or something. Um, so like, yeah, it's you. You can do all sorts of stuff. Uh, match recaps, as Dylan said earlier in the podcast, don't get a lot of traffic. Uh, player pieces usually do, uh, but it honestly depends because it's like. You you really have to corner a market before you can can get like decent traffic and and sell those kind of things because basically everybody writes them is my point yeah so it, like you may write significantly better than someone else but chances are they've written the same thing yeah it's it's just for me it's always hard to wrap my head around like where would you start with that kind of stuff because I'm more traditional in terms of you know games writing you you have your average reviews I go pitch an interview or a feature or something like that or a news feature. Um, I just, I, I don't know. And it, it's interesting, I think, to just to discuss, you know, what actually hits with these audiences. Uh, Dylan, what, putting you on the spot here for a second, what have you written in terms of esports coverage or just League of Legends coverage that you're most proud of? What have you written that you think was unique and that you know did really well? Was it your first Kotaku piece or is it something where you've gone more in depth since then? Obviously, my Kotaku pieces are like something special to me because they were like my first freelancing. Yeah, and and they were they were pretty good, especially considering Kotaku at the time was like completely lacking in league coverage, aside from like new champion Woo. Um, 
but yeah, for me, those are probably what I'm most proud of, just because they were like my first pieces. Yeah. Um, since then, oh god, I'm trying to think. There's like been there's been like as a whole, a lot of my articles have just been generalists, like trying to get esports to a wider uh, audience, mm-hmm. and obviously that's been a little challenging as someone who knows a ton about esports, and then you have to like dumb it down and not use lingo and not use phrases, like. One of the words on Playboy's, um, like, like never use list is sandbox or, yeah. or MOBA. And yep. like, how do you not use MOBA when you're talking about like the game is a MOBA? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. It, it's just, it's just like trying to get esports to a wider audience. So there's never, there's never like, aside from like those Kotaku pieces, I don't really have like, like one special article that I'm particularly proud of. Yeah. Um, it's just been doing that in general has been, you know, kind of pleasant. And you keep mentioning, wider audience which i think so many people who are into esports are thinking about is do you think that esports needs to be on espn in front of more people in order to be successful and i'll ask no. you uh, okay that's that's, that's, yeah. that's what i'm wondering so you guys are it's it, it's almost like a club okay so when you, you know football everyone knows about basketball everyone knows about esports not so much it's it's a smaller group of people who are extremely dedicated it seems to be making money uh there's a lot of you know, income being generated by these games. If it continues to be what it is right now, is that okay? Or does it need to expand and become more of a household thing to survive? Honestly, if you ask like pretty much any person that's really into esports, they'll tell you they don't want it on TV just because it's available anywhere on the internet from any country basically at any time and you can just watch it. Whereas if it's on TV, you got to buy cable, you got to watch those ads, you got to watch all the um, ads and all that kind of stuff. And as like an esports person, a lot of people are turned off at the thought of esports getting bigger just because they're afraid it's going to get on TV. Like, oh yeah, not that they don't, not that they don't want it to be big, but they just don't want it on TV because it's so easy to see stuff right now. Like when Blizzard did their Heroes of the Dorm thing, that was, I'm pretty sure, I'm not entirely positive. Um, I vaguely recall one of the bigger LCS casters complaining because he's in Korea, and the only way to watch that was on ESPN, and. Normally, everything esports is available like on Twitch or something. You can just get it wherever you are, and like that's what something esports is gonna have to deal with. Is eventually when they get big enough, how do they handle, or how do they continue to handle broadcasting? You know what I mean? Yeah, and is it also kind of like the fighting game community where the the bigger it gets, they don't want that as much. It kind of like this smaller community feels like theirs. It feels like something they have ownership of, where they're almost a part of something. Do you think, like Jacob, do you think it's anything like that where? they enjoy the success and the big numbers that come from it. Like they're glad that, you know, millions of people are watching this on Twitch, but you almost want to keep it small and not this big corporate ESPN thing. I agree kind of with the the standpoint. I'm all for like ESPN coming into esports just because I think it's going to help the growth and it's going to make us better accepted as a community mm-hmm. in terms of uh I guess, like, more acceptance into the traditional sports world, which is always a good thing. Um, but I understand the people's caution because nobody wants to, like, have to buy cable to watch esports, which is, like, a big problem with traditional sports, you know? Yeah. I, it grew up online. This is actually something, you know, this, like, made me think of something that we talked about uh, in recent staff meeting at Daily Dot that, like, my boss, who's our esports editor, said to the rest of the staff, uh, the reason we cover this at the Daily Dot is because it, you know, the community's on the line. The, like, watching it is online. Getting to know it's online. All these players, like, live on Twitter and, like, 
interact with people online. It, it's an online industry, and that was like the whole entire reason that my publication in particular got into it is because like we are supposed to be the like the internet newspaper. What's better to cover than esports? Just yeah. because that is like one of the bigger internet communities. So, um, I I'm all for like this embracing of uh embracing of what we do, but it it comes with a lot of of a lot of caution, as Dylan said, for for things like we don't ever want an esports pay per view. That is bad. So. <laughs> and we we don't want to have to buy cable in a day and age where nobody slam. owns cable. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, it, it, and it would just kill whatever game like decides to consent to that. So I mean, plus it's like some of the stuff that esports does is just like unimaginable to like on a on a huge stage. Like it's routine for you to go on Twitch and see um, players like breaking technically breaking the law by streaming with you know other people's uh, music that they don't own the rights to and that kind of stuff. But that's just like everyday things. That's just how esports is. Like nobody really, you know, it's not the nobody official, gives a official shit. Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah no, just nobody cares. And if we're on this like huge stage and players are like all corporate and stuff, I don't know. Like that, that'd be very strange to me. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um. And kind of going on the same track of legitimizing, quote unquote, uh, esports. It, we do have a uh, listener question from Nick Taylor who hit me up on Twitter asking kind of your opinion, both of your opinions on both player unions and this PED issue that is coming up. Uh, we could start with you, Dylan. What do you think about the new PED rules? I don't know too much about them. I saw it kind of crop up in the news and I don't know too much about player unions in uh, esports. Is that a thing? Um, it's not in league. Okay. That much. It's not a thing at all yet. It is a thing that has been discussed for about two years. Okay. So yeah. it's been a, a like hidden idea, but yeah. I understand the appeal of it, but it, it's really hard, for like especially for like league in particular, because specifically because league, like any official LCS player, is technically employed by Riot. Like they're on they're on salary. They earn I think some between twenty and thirty grand a year just from Riot itself. Oh, I did not know that. Again, which with that brings up a whole bunch of questions itself, as far as you know, um, like they can't they can't talk bad about league or LCS or anything because well, like they theoretically can, but you know it's it's tough because if you talk bad about Riot, they're obviously not going to be happy about it, considering they're paying your paychecks and that kind mm. of thing. Um, and as far as like performance enhancing drugs go, um, I mean that's like un- completely understandable. I mean, if it gives you an advantage. Um, I, I obviously haven't been too big into that or following it too much because it's mostly, it seems to be mostly with like the first person shooter genre, less so much like League and Dota. Yeah. Um, and definitely not Hearthstone because I don't know what that would do for like Hearthstone. Really focuses you in on those yeah. cards. You can read them much more clearly <laughs> and understand what they do. I totally get it. I don't know if the, the union thing would particularly benefit League in general in specifics because, because of just exactly how all that is organized. Yeah. Uh, was the PED thing a big uh, issue at the Daily Dot, uh, Jacob? When you yes, were, I know uh, it, it got a lot of mainstream coverage on like IGN and Gamespot because once again, when you hear like people playing video games can't use performance enhancing drugs, you immediately go like, wait, what? But when you think about it, it makes sense. Uh, I feel really bad because I was like a contributing part to all this crap that started. Uh, so essentially, my editor like hit me up one morning after seeing this interview. And was like, hey, can you write something on this? And I was like, yeah, I'm ADD, so I understand Ritalin and like Adderall. Let's do this. Yeah. And uh, I wrote like a news post about 
what happened uh, that like sparked it. And it's one of the like it was probably one of the most viewed reports that we had in all of July. So I kind of feel bad for doing this, uh, just because it's called ah, your job. Shit than it's worth. But it's my job, yeah. So uh, basically, what happened is Cloud, one of Cloud 9s former Counter Strike players, Sympus, uh, said that they all took Adderall unprescribed at uh, IEM Katowice, or ESL One Katowice rather, um, in March. And he said that, you know, like people noticed in, in our comms that this was an issue because we were all like high out of our minds on Adderall. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, he <laughs> he brought up a big concern. And right now it's only a thing in Counter-Strike. So, uh, yeah, so basically ESL is an acted, um, they've been acted drug tests, randomized drug tests for all events. So you show up in an ESL event and you are subject, uh, if you're a player, you're subject to being drug tested if they find anything suspicious. So, and they, and they just did it, the, uh, at ESL one clone in, uh, August. This is the first time they've ever done the drug testing. So, Man. uh, yeah, I mean, this is like, it's a thing now. I don't know. If you're, if you're, uh, prescribed to it, then I think like, it's fine because I personally am ADD and I used to take Ritalin. Uh, I don't anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I understand what it's like to be to live without it. So, yeah, I I don't know. Like if you're prescribed, then you know shut shut up and leave the guy alone if he has a prescription for it. But if not, I can understand like why why it's being tested for so yeah i mean from once again from the outside looking in from someone who doesn't watch these events it does to me make it seem more legitimate where you know there's a lot of money on the line for a lot of these different events so you want to make sure people aren't using something they don't need to enhance their performance um and same thing with unions for me where you know i'm not deep into this sort of culture but uh i think it would only help these players you know discuss pay and get a more even share if they would to for, were to form that i mean i'm a big uh, i'm a big sports guy I like football I like basketball i also like the ufc a lot and the ufc currently doesn't have uh union and because of that i think i would say probably the the profit share between the ufc and the fighters itself is just like 10 percent to the fighters and 90 percent to the ufc it's insane and because they don't have a union they can't come together and collectively bargain for a fair share so i think in general if it's going to be seen as a sport um, if it's going to be seen as uh, something like that where people can make a living, it would be it would behoove them to uh, form a union and to do something like that. But once again, outside looking in, esports might be a whole different world. I don't know. Uh, it could so, be a really good thing, but like the the main like proprietor or like guy that was like pushing everything for unions basically gave up. So oh, well, that's a bummer. Yeah, he was a he was a former league player and he accepted a job at Unicorn, which is a uh, esports betting site and he has since basically given up the idea of a union so i think you'd almost have to be a retired player or someone out of the loop to really start a revolution like that because like you had said dylan if they're getting paid by riot it's hard to say hey we should yeah. form a union and so we can get more money and uh get better benefits because riot's going to be like and now you don't work for us so because they're yeah. allowed to do that so that's i think where the struggle happens and it's oh man they're so sensitive yeah and it's equally hard because um, 
it's just league is notorious for I mean esports in general are notorious for players getting screwed out of money out of money and screwed in their contracts by companies and that kind of stuff. So at by default you want them to do that, but at the same time it's just like on the developer side of things that also screws them up a bit. You know what I mean? Oh, so absolutely. it's like hard because you don't want to root for the big company, but you also don't want the players to get screwed out of their money. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's- no, totally. It's 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 a, it's a complex issue, and I think you know as this grows, as more money, especially when more money gets involved, uh, it will continue to be an issue. And even if, like you said, uh, Jacob, like the the guy who was kind of pushing it forward has dropped it, mostly there will be someone else. There'll be a retired player. There'll be uh, some sort of representative that comes out and pushes that forward, but. Yeah, it's it's an, it's an expanding thing. Like we said, ESPN is getting a reporter. Um, esports is still super crazy to me and kind of awesome. It's the, one of the first times where I really felt like <laughs> like an old person out of the loop when people are talking about esports. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm not hip anymore. I'm completely out of this circle. Uh, but I do appreciate you guys. You know, at least enlightening me a little bit and explaining that there are seasons and teams that are popular <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, before we kind of close the discussion, like I always do with these podcasts, I like to leave people with a tip that uh, if if for some reason they zoned out for like the last 45 or 50 minutes and they're like, whoa, wait, where am I? Um, they could take something that's kind of a uh, summary of our discussion and take that and hopefully move forward and use that in their own daily life. Um, and I'll start with it because and this is one I've kind of given before, but I'll expound on it a bit. Um, like I said, I came into this knowing near nothing about esports. Uh, but as someone who is making money and wants to continue making money in uh, video games writing, it's ext- it's very critical to not get stuck in your own ways and to be able to kind of open up your mind and uh, look at what's what's happening in coverage and try to learn as much as you can about it. It's been that way with me, with with video, with streaming. I've been streaming more. Um, it doesn't really matter if I don't get that many views. For me, it's getting that practice, understanding why people care about streaming, why people care about video coverage, why people care about esports. Because if I sit back and just write reviews and features all day, I'm going to get left behind. Uh, and I think that's important for a lot of people. And I think if someone's listening to this and they have no interest in writing about esports or MOBAs or anything like that, it's at least important to know why people are interested in it and why people care and why it's becoming such a thing. So once again, I've given a similar advice, but make sure that you're not getting stuck in your own ways. Make sure you are trying to understand what's popular because maybe one day, who knows, we'll all be writing about esports. And if you don't learn now, how are you going to write about it? So uh, that's mine for the week. And I can go to you, Dylan, if you kind of have something in mind. I'll even kind of narrow it a bit for you. If someone is looking to get into this type of writing, what sort of advice do you have for them? Um, it's actually really simple. I, I tell this to like everybody, regardless of what, what they're looking to do in life, and that's just use Twitter. Um, oh, yeah. Three of my biggest gigs have just all been people like, I need writers on Twitter. Like, they've just been like on Twitter. They've just been like, should we cover League? You know, should we do this? Or... Or whatever, and it's basically everything that I've done has basically just been because Twitter. Like Twitter just got me off the ground completely. Um, and I know a lot of people who just don't, like don't use Twitter at all. They think it's the worst. There's no point in it, and all, and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, that's just I tell everyone just use Twitter, and at the very least, follow people that do what you want to do, and follow websites that might be interested in that kind of coverage. Because, like I said, it's just it's it's crazy. It's just like you need luck to do well in esports like you can't like yes you can just earn it 
but a certain amount of luck and you know i saw that tweet someone i know retweeted that yeah. tweet you know that kind of thing no without a doubt and i agree that that's wonderful advice twitter is this strange wonderful resource that so much of my coverage has come from i've written for sites uh, people have dm me and said hey i like your writing i've seen you tweet about stuff uh, i would like you to write for us which is rare but it's always a cool thing to get um it's it is shocking how much work you can get through twitter so if you're one of those people who are still holding out and you're like nope it's me and my friendster account till the day i die you should probably get a twitter it's also a good way to promote your own uh stuff so people can see it so uh jacob if you have any sort of advice for, you know you once again you're full-time daily dot you're you're doing well for yourself what, what can you tell people who want to write about esports or uh, mobas so this isn't like my this isn't my advice but like expanding uh, and i'll like do my advice rather but mm. uh this is expanding on what dylan said yeah like there's no there's nobody that has too many twitter followers in the esports world that they can just straight up ignore you or like you can't get a hold of yeah. So the best, like, if you want to discuss with someone, then you just tweet them. Like, that's how I got into this industry. That's how many other people got into this industry. No one is, like, above the clouds. So just just reach out and be social. That's, that's the biggest problem with esports is that many, like, content creators and players and pretty much everybody is pretty introverted. So, like, they miss a lot of opportunities because they're afraid to go out of their bubble. So just... uh just do your best and, and reach out to people. Uh, for my actual advice, I don't want to sound like a broken record, and I know a lot of people have said this about content creation. I know it's usually really criticized, but uh, I feel like I have some kind of foothold to say say this. Uh, diversify yourself in terms of content creation. Don't uh, find a niche that you can you can fit in because. At this point, like feature writing is like so oversaturated and like I'm not saying don't do feature writing, but find something special about the features that you are writing uh, that is unique to you. Mm. Uh, otherwise, it's really hard to get noticed and, you know, there's always more people to hire. So uh, there's a very limited amount of jobs to be had in esports content creation in particular. Uh, and if you're not doing anything that's particularly unique that's helping you out. I'm not saying clickbait. Please do not do anything clickbait. That's all uh, I heard. Clickbait. Do it. <laughs> but uh, it just like find something that that like makes you unique because you know like I started off as a feature writer, but when I got into news, things got super easy for me because I was able to do something that not many people were able to to, to do. So and I love it, and I can still do feature writing. And yeah, like. Just find something that makes that makes you uh, that makes you special that you enjoy. So, but don't yeah. like try too hard and like break who you are and <laughs> don't do anything like unethical like clickbait. So, yeah. yeah. And the good news is it's growing. So, totally. Yeah, exactly. No, that's why I think right now, you know, if you want to get into this, now's the time. Get in, and it'll continue to grow. There'll be more open positions. I don't think this is a fad. I really don't. I think no, this is not. something that's Certainly going to continue to get big. So. Gaming's um, always going to be around, and even if one game like League dies, eventually there's something else to take its place. So totally, I'm actually totally interested in seeing what the next big esport game is. Uh, Counter Strike. <laughs> 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 All right, I'm going to go sharpen my skills then on Counter Strike and make sure I'm not writing about it, but actually participating. I'm going to be number one in the world. Um, quick side note: I was actually for like a week the number one Uncharted two player in the world, which is only like seven of those. But so I know quite a few things about esports. Oh, snap. <laughs> so all right, uh, 
thank you so much guys for joining me i really do appreciate this i do feel like i actually learned a lot uh dylan where can people find you and what you're doing probably just my twitter at skiffington underscore um yeah i, I basically st- everything stays up to date there i, ba- I basically tweet on anything that's big there all right great and uh for you jacob uh you can find me on the daily dot uh, which is daily.com and you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash b-r-a-y-l-l-c-s and you can find me on muckrack if you want to be all sorts of professional which is muckrack.com slash jakewolf so great all right yeah thanks so much again guys uh, I really do hope that people who are interested in writing about this stuff will get something out of this I'm almost positive they will so once again thank you too for joining me and uh, thanks everyone for listening and hopefully you tune back in for next week's episode of the 1099